Hey everybody, thank you for joining the Brown Bag. Uh, tonight we are joined by Ben DeQual. Uh, this is talking about Azure monitoring and operations. Uh, tonight this will be hosted by myself, Louis Aiso, and Ken Nailbone. Say hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Oh, terrible uh, joke, I know. Uh, uh, so we're going to be turning it over to Ben here in a second. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, you want to ask any questions, uh, feel free to post them in the Q&A or chat on uh, GoToWebinar for those who are live or in Twitter using hashtag vbrownbag. Uh, we'll try to field those to Ben as they come up. All right, Ben, uh, I'm going to make you presenter. Look at this. I can, I can share things. Look at that. So, oh, um, sorry to close that tab. Um, anyway, yeah, no, thanks so much for having me, Ken and Lewis. Can you see my screen? I can. Uh, I can. Audience to you yes, inside. we can. So I'm trying to work out how to minimize this go-to-webinar window now. Uh, anyone? Oh, yeah, we don't see that. it, so it's fine. Gone. Yeah, Brilliant. we don't see it. I, I do. It impacts me. Um, so today we're, we're going to, um, so thanks for having me, Ben DeQuell, I work at Microsoft, um, which uh, we are, as you haven't seen already through the series, we've started here, been doing quite a bit of work over the last five, six years, particularly around when we get to Azure and even, even more so, you'll see a lot more around open source. So when we talk about management, security, operational work for around Azure, from Azure, for Azure, um, from Azure for on-premises or other cloud. There's a lot of different options there. Some of it's going to be first-party based. Some of it will be um, will be third-party based and, and you can sort of go into how that works and why and, and where you would use it versus the other options. So if you haven't logged into Azure before, this is pretty much a landing page. It's the Azure portal. It may not look exactly like this because you can go and do things like customize your portal. You can do look and feel. I mean, Everyone knows dark themes are always the best, so it's dark. Um, but you can then start to pin different things to different dashboards, depending on who's using them. You can set up multiple dashboards as well, so to give that view, um, just to make myself remember what time it is back in Australia, where I'm from. Um, it's 10.30 now, so Grant Orchard should be up. He's probably not. He's a lazy lazy bugger. We all pretty much know that. But you can pin all things and maybe your common things in here, sort of dashboards and views and topologies that you might like to go and look at and see. So great way to start. Go in there, look at this, go and do something like if you want to go and provision a VM. So if we want to go and say set up a, uh, a CentOS machine here, we simply can go in, select our CentOS image we want to look at. So I'm just going to go CentOS 6.9. We can go and create this machine here. It's as simple as going in and setting up our machine name, which will be brown bag. What kind of disk type, a username, which would be root, or oh, wait a sec, probably not. Um, put in our SSH key or password we may want to use here. And, um, and then provision away once we go and select our VM size and other options. I'm not going to hit yes now because we really don't want to see a VM provision. That's kind of a little bit boring. It's pretty simple to do, and you can go and do this very, very easily. And this is going to be across like storage, networking for maybe a storage account or uh, Azure files or different sort of configurations you may want to do. Now, once you know, you've gone and set this up once and you've got a used to using the portal, you may want to start to be a little bit quicker to deploy. So you can connect up into Azure as well via things like PowerShell or Bash. Um, in fact, you can run Bash on a Windows machine, of course, as well as on a Linux machine. And, and PowerShell is um, open sourced and supported on Linux there now. So you can pull this up in the Azure Shell. And this is one of my favorite places to go, to be honest, because we can go in here pretty much and do our things really, really quickly. Sometimes, even if I have to show something to, to a Microsoft customer or partner, I pull out my phone if I haven't got my laptop hand, laptop handy, and can run something up straight out of my, um, my Azure app into Azure Shell on the phone. And what's kind of interesting here, you can see we've got PowerShell, which you kind of expect. We also have Bash. Um, you will actually see a lot more options for set up in terms of um, <clears throat> in terms of your management and everything else. Actually, through Bash now more than even PowerShell, we have a we have a very dedicated cloud native team um, who are doing a huge amount of work around our containers, 
container management, container instances, but also um, doing the work around the cloud shell. So you'll see a lot of providers that you may want to use come in there natively, a lot of things and functions you may want to go and use. So we can, it's really, really simple to use. I actually find it, um, from my background, uh, I find it much easier to use Bash than I would to use actually PowerShell. So you could do something like say, you want to see all the containers running inside of your Azure account. We can sit up here and sort of hit run and start looking at our things here. If we want to go and set up, say, a new container, I'm doing containers because it's quick, it's easy, it's going to take me 30 seconds versus 10 minutes provision of VM. If I want to go and set up a container here, copy and paste it because I'm kind of lazy. But we, we simply just have to go in easy to use. You can do AZ Container Create, or for those who aren't American, AZ Container Create. Uh, we give it a name, which is Grant Orchard Loves Starbucks, and we know he does. You may deny it, but he does. And, um, and then we just select an image, a resource we want to use, and then we put in either a private IP address, or in this case, it's selected public with dynamic DNS. So we can hit that if I select the right screen. And we can do things here like provision whole machines, we can provision whole workloads, uh, networking, security groups, anything that we may want to use in Azure. I know we've covered a lot of these concepts over the past few weeks um, in storage to networking and other applications within Azure. So that can be set up there. You can run it from your console. That's a way to sort of go and run things. As you start to become more adept with the platform, want to look at things in a more people manner. Any questions on that so far, Ken or Lewis? Have you uh, dived around in the Azure portal much yet or not? We have only one question from the peanut gallery, and that was, can Azure let you monitor the weather in that dashboard that you showed earlier? Can it let you monitor the weather? I'm sure it can. But by the way, look, if we just before we go, Grant does indeed love Starbucks, and it is up and running. So Grant Orchard, you're welcome. Um, so can we add, edit the weather? I haven't actually even tried to, to go and set that up. So we can definitely see what we can run in here. So we can go and edit this dashboard, and we can start pinning in anything we want here. We can put the time. I'm pretty sure we can do the weather. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about spending too much time on that one. Oh. And after after a lightning strike, this can happen. I mean, you want to know where those storms are. <laughs> you know, it could be um, in Florida. Uh, could be in Florida or Texas or any maybe you want to know if there's any in the region where your data lives. Yeah, so no, I can't see a weather option. I'm sure we could go and create a custom tile just straight out of the gallery. There is nothing there. I am sorry, but you can see time. You can see feedback and go into other settings, but not. It seems the weather. I apologize. Um, to, to answer your earlier question, I don't, I don't, I haven't spent any personal time in the Azure web portal myself, but you know, always open if you got a login or credentials available for testing. Yeah, well, in fact, you can get a. Um, and by the way, I, I'm sure you've seen if you're at VMworld last last week. I've been on vacation, so my head's in totally in the clouds. But if you're in um, VMworld last week, there is a lot we are doing with VMware and Azure as well. We can do things right now like replication into Azure for DR or dev test, but also um, we made an announcement quite a while ago and you're gonna see it up having happening more and more um, <clears throat> where you can start running VMware in Azure being managed via vCenter. And right now there's a lot of stuff we're doing with um, Horizon View as well inside of Azure. There's things there for, you, for people who have been VMware traditionally, like, I mean, Lewis, I believe you are at VMware, you can go and look at in terms of um, things like containing, creating that container we just looked at, it's a, it's a hello world image, it's gonna be quick. It's just running Apache Spark, so it doesn't take very long. Um, sorry, Apache, Tomcat, it's gonna to be very, very quick. So you can see that it's run up really quickly. In terms of getting an account set up, um, really good thing if you've looked at any of the other rest of the series or if it's your first one, um, go and look at the Azure free trial. You don't have to provide a credit card and you get $200 to start off and play around. Nice. I would never suggest you go and, um, <clears throat> I would never ever suggest that if you want to test again, you go and use a different email address. I would, that would be wrong, but you know, <laughs> that can happen. No, sure. I actually think that's perfectly, you know, perfectly normal if you want to try and do that. You can go and set that up and we either give you an indication about what you can use um, with that kind of money to look at the capacity you can run in there. I mean, if you're looking at running up a big virtual machine in IaaS, it's going to burn out very, very quickly. However, you're using 
small things, running up containers, running up networking, testing different concepts, you'll probably get a bit of use out of that over the course of a month. Um, and you can even export that all out to an ARM template or a Terraform template and, um, and sort of build it up very, very quickly again. So just what we do, what I showed you there is a little bit of stuff of just basic configuring VMs. Um, and this is gonna be comparable really for networking, for security gateways, for storage, for storage accounts where we do a file share. Everything else is going to be similar here. It's going to be through the portal. It's going to be through um, PowerShell or Bash. We get a little, little bit more advanced. We want to start using DevOps. We're going to start looking at other concepts like Chef, um, Ansible, uh, and uh, Terraform out there as well. We, we actually have a lot of work that we've done across this. You can use Terraform across multiple subscriptions within Azure to manage the one subscription. And we even do things like in the actual Azure shell. This is inside of as you don't have to go and sit there swearing because you've got the wrong Python version on your laptop, you can run things from within Azure Shell. We already have set up, so for example, if you want to go and configure um, and deploy and manage all your, your machines via Terraform, so you can start doing day one, day two images. We have all the resource providers set up. We've done a lot of work. In fact, I just got off the phone before this call speaking with the, the Hashi team and going into some details here, but you can see in here, really, really simple to sort of go and use things like Terraform to go and provision your virtual networking, setting IP addresses, security groups and rules, network interfaces and um, storage accounts and your VMs that you might want to provision. So when we start talking about running this at scale and looking at taking it beyond um, manually setting up and figuring out workloads and doing it as infrastructure as code and checking it in, tying it into our CI/CD pipeline, there's a lot of options there where you can just go and use Terraform or you can use even, as I mentioned, Ansible, and it's built directly. It's not just resource providers, it's built directly into the Azure console, so you can sort of do it from anywhere. Um, and if you haven't used any of these products, I mean, some of the big advantages is obviously it becomes repeatable. You treat your deployment and your infrastructure as code. You can check it in, view others' work, and start running it through different um, CI CD pipelines and doing your work there as well. And things like Terraform, I love from the perspective of the fact that it takes care of day two, day three. What about if I've configured 300 machines and I want to change the networking um, on one single network interface on every machine in one certain manner? You can go and do that and really push it out and, and take care of your, your workloads really quickly and manage them, not just to deploy it, but actually to do that on an ongoing basis. Um, any questions yet? Lewis, Ken, are we, are we happy with that? So uh, next question was, what about the big four monitoring? CPU, RAM, network, and storage. Big monitoring. I'm going to go into that if you give me one. So I'll go into that right now, actually. How about that? Um, let's go into an um, Ubuntu machine. Uh, so quite often, I will show you more on Linux and Windows. We still love Windows. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of our customers still use Windows. Um, but Especially when we talk about cloud, Linux is a big um, it's a big user in the cloud, so we have to go and support where our customers are. We contribute code, we do a lot of work around Linux to make sure they work not just well, but even high performance and get customized drive, customers drive customized drivers configuration inside of Azure. So if we look at a single VM here as a concept in IaaS, we can look at different things. We can look at an activity log in terms of what's being done on, on top of that machine. Um, this will let us look at all the operations and everything that's been happening here. I haven't done anything to this in a little while, so it's kind of sitting pretty. We can start looking at things like our settings, our continuous delivery preview, and you'll talk more about that at length if you wanted to. But um, we can also start looking at the metrics as well. So down here on monitoring, we have this built directly into Azure itself. You can start going and say, well, what's happening with my machine? I want to see what I'm using in terms of CPU, credits, or performance different operations even in there too. So let's have a look at network in. And we can, again, this is machines been sitting there relatively latently. So we can sit there and go, what's it been doing over the last 24 hours, seven days, 30 days, and start to get views about what's happening in terms of CPU, memory configuration, and a lot of the other workloads we're running on that machine. Um, in fact, when you jump directly into the machine at the very beginning, you get that kind of quick little snapshot view, which you may have seen before showing CPU average, network average, disk bytes total, and the fact this machine's currently not started, which is probably a good indicator by the fact it's flatlined. So we can go and start and stop, but we can see a lot of the statistics straight off the bat inside of there. Um, taking a little bit further, we can do operations 
manage these machines. And we can look at things like setting up automatic shutdown and startup. So, um, you know, if you're using machines which are non-production or they're low priority and you want them to shut down after hours, we can start setting that up directly in the portal. Things like backup service, really, really cool. You can go in and just select backup as a first party offering within Azure to start backing up your machine um, <clears throat> off to an existing or to a new vault and uh, set up a policy for that machine. So I'm going to do ANF, new daily policy. And we can do things like set up a backup every day at 8.30 a.m. and retain that data for 30 days will be the default. But we can set that up and do things like set it up, back it up, tick a box, back up that machine, and let's hold on to it for 180 days or even up to 10 years of data. And that's simply a matter of just enabling that backup and hitting validating and okay. We'll actually be now suddenly validating the machine and we've set it up to go and deploy and back up that machine on a daily basis of protecting data. We can look at things like disaster recovery as well. And um, <clears throat> one of the things we have to think about, just because we put things in the cloud, doesn't mean they're intrinsically going to protect it. We talk about different SLAs. Um, with Azure itself, uh, with Azure itself, um, sure, because I've probably sort of shut down on my stuff too much. Um, with Azure itself, we, we talk about um, we talk about the fact that you know for a single VM SLA, when you're starting to look at a single VM, if you're using premium storage, oh. high performance storage with managed disk you'll get about 99.9% uptime SLA in that single instance of VMs. If you're doing things across availability zones within an Azure region, you can get up to 99.95% availability. And then you can do things like zone redundancy, giving you a far higher rate. We start talking about far 99.99% uptime, um, where it's across multiple physical data centers in a region. And then finally you can do DR as well. Sorry, was there a question? There was one question when it comes to backup and uh, DR. Uh, is backup making VSS calls uh, for Windows VMs? Um, is it using making VSS calls for Windows VMs? Uh, yes, it will. So it will actually be consistent on the data. And apologize for this, I shut down my machine, so I, I didn't have it up and running for DR. We need to actually have it running to, to run DR, but the ability to go and then select backing up a machine so I'm just going to move on a little bit and come back to that in a moment. But to back up to, to DR machine across multiple locations is pretty cool as well. We can do things like change tracking, um, inventory. We, we make recommendations. We can even tie it into a diagram of our network configuration and where it sits in our environment that you can go and view, uh, which is dynamically updated based on the requirement. We can see it's got a network card, it's a disk. It's a very, very simple machine and it's, um, some of the functions are a little bit more limited on Linux versus Windows, but you still have a fair bit of detail and you can get a view of the machine. And this is really what you would look at on single instances of VMs when you're monitoring them, managing them, configuring them within Azure. So connect to the dashboard. That's cool. What about at scale? At scale is where we, get, we can get a little bit more interesting. We have firstly what we call Azure Advisor. Azure Advisor is looking across multiple things within your environment. This is going to look across the availability of your machines, security, performance, and cost. So when we talk about availability, we're going to be looking at things like, are you backing up the machine? Are you using DR? Have you got managed disk to, to improve your reliability and availability of your VM? Um, soft delete so we can restore data. Even things like we've got um, an endpoint in the profile, but it's only in a single region. And why don't you put that in another region? So we've got multiple failover points across physical locations um, and different things in here. So you can sort of go in there, go straight away, going, hey, I can see where my machine sits, what I should do. In terms of security, uh, we also, and I'll dive a bit more into Security Center here at Linkson Security Center, we talk about vulnerabilities. Performance-wise, we're gonna look at things where <clears throat> we can improve things like DNS configuration or maybe the storage account how it's set up. One of the ones quite often here, and I've cleaned up my account recently, so it's not kind of as ugly as it was a while back, is there are a lot of recommendations you'll get shown. For example, if you configure a network gateway, VPN gateway, and you're using 20 megabits a second um, of throughput on average, however, you've configured your gateway for two gigabits. 
it may make recommendations saying, hey, you can probably turn that down a bit. We don't need that kind of performance. You're spending money you don't need to have. Same thing if you're using a VM or an application, um, a platform service on Azure you don't want to need to use. You can go and look in the same way and start to go, well, I can turn that back down a bit because I'm not actually using all that revenue. And we can see that sort of here under cost. And this is one of the subscriptions being run out of our, from one of our Indian teams here, where it's a right size to utilize VM. So straight away here, you can see how that it sort of worked. Um, this is in our backup and DR marketing lab. It's running out of our Indian development team here. We can see here our MySQL machines, less than 5% SQL. We can potentially save some significant money every week by actually going and selecting to resize that machine and following some recommendations. So not only are we trying to be here reactive and look at what's my performance, what's my capacity, what's my management, we can go in and use um, this to sort of proactively configure and make ourselves effective in terms of what we can use. So for example, here it's going, you probably only need less than a gig of memory and uh, a single CPU versus the four CPUs you're running now, which is probably fair in the case that this machine's not really doing much. I, I'm guessing you'd rarely see many in production in that sort of manner. Um, switching over to where we want to look at some of these performance details and really get in depth. Uh, this is our dashboard from a lot of our monitoring and security products within Azure. A big call out on this is you're going to see the performance of VMs in Azure in here, but you're also going to be able to present up and view the networking topology, performance, application mapping, service mapping, um, malware penetration, and a whole range of other metrics for machines that are on-premises and in other cloud providers as well. So just to get a quick little view about this as a starting point, Let's go and have a look at things like our <clears throat> application map here. Application map is bootstrapped inside, it's very, very easy to bootstrap inside your Java and .NET applications particularly. And we can start looking at things like great CPU and memory, awesome. How about we look inside the application itself and see what we can optimize? We have it set up here where we have a Contoso retail web. It's going off to a storage account, a SQL database. It's got a, an endpoint here and also a queue for the retail web, we can see that there's a lot of calls going off to the storage account and 25% of the time, there appears to be some error. So we, we can actually go and dive into the actual app, into the application code, find out what's failing and invest, start investigating these values within Azure. Uh, within Azure itself, it, Azure's pulling the data, but these applications don't be, have to be inside Azure, they can be on-premises or in the cloud. We, we can do things like this natively out of the portal. I believe we've got a lot of an operational audience in here too. So I'm going to go and look at things from a service perspective instead, rather than a code perspective. This is um, service map. Service map <clears throat> will actually run again across on-premises and across um, across um, Azure-based machines. So we can set that up. We can run it. It will show all the different processes here. I'm just going to select the different groups we have set up here. And I'm going to select our all. It's been decimated a little bit recently, as I said. It's um, been a little bit of active cleanup where I've gone a little bit too hard recently on some of these. But you can get a view and start to say, great, I can see exactly what applications what this is running on my machine, what they're connecting out to. And also, not only that, we can see what they connect, what is connecting into them. So it's a great way of sort of identifying what is happening in environment dependencies, where things sit and requirements there. Let's try to try and move this. Sorry, you guys probably can't see it, but there's a control panel in the way for the conference. It's going to slide down a bit or somewhere. Um, so we can see that in there. We, real quick, the, so these are all Windows apps and obviously we can see the Windows services running inside of it. What about Linux? Would you have the same granularity of like Yeah, you do Linux have services? the same. Yeah, and I'm sorry, there's been a lot of cleanup underway here, so it's not as feature-rich as I want to show you. Normally, we have a Linux machines in here as well. I've even set up a process on a um, in, 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 uh, shoot, uh, NDMP daemon process, which is actually making rogue calls out from a, from a CentOS machine. So I do normally set up or just a lot of cleanup. And this is not just the data right now. It's also historical data as well. You can go back to one hour and start looking at one hour of data. And um, we can even go to the specifics start end day and start going, well, let's take this back to maybe 
well, 2014 won't really work. That's the wrong one to go to. Let's take this back to April 10th and look at an hour of duration at that time frame. Then, sorry, it's going to get the time frame right. April 10th, it's only doing an hour of duration. You can start to get a view about what's happening there. Back then, this environment probably didn't exist. So we keep doing a lot of rebuilds in some of our test environments here. So but you can sort of get an idea that you can go and view this data. Let's see if it gets me in June. Um, let's see if we can get some data up near the data point here. Um, and we can get that a view of the data that's happening there. Oh, it's totally been cleaned out. I apologize, guys. Normally, I can show you a fair bit more in here, but there's not a heck I can do right now. But it definitely works the same way for the Linux, all the Windows machines in here. And you can go and also start to view, going, you can start to see some issues. You can dive into that machine and see what it is. Server name, you can see what's running on it. Uh, we can take a bit of a deeper dive and start saying, what about the properties of the machine itself? Mm -hmm. um, what's been running? What is it? Size. We can view alerts. And we can set these alerts up based on different metrics. Right now, there's nothing here. Let's move it over to a machine with the red light on it. And we can see, um, can't see any alerts here. Uh, we can get an idea of some of the alerts that are happening here. In terms of what's happening, it's not a lot. Let's have a look at log events. We can see this configuration data performance. Um, we can also look at changes as well. And we can get a view then of sort of changes into that environment and what's been modified in terms of applications installed, services started, stopped and even the performance over time, I'm trying to move the security bar up and down, performance over time, and start looking at networking, compute, other factors, and even updates. So we start being able to identify issues that are potentially happening within the machine. For fact, where we might need patches and updates, over here you can see there's three critical updates when you install some security updates. This all becomes really sort of clear and apparent in this, um, this view straight away. I, Apologize, we seem to have a little bit of missing data in there. So I'm just going to take it back one step, back into where we were before on the front page of a lot of our monitoring portal here. Um, Real quick before we sorry, go Sorry, any questions? Yeah, so, uh, two, so two questions. One is, uh, does the historical information average out like vCenter? In, in, the, in the case of the older it gets, the, uh, the less specific the data gets, or is it the same granularity from start to finish? Uh, it can be the same granularity start to finish. We store the data. Uh, there's a back-end database for all of these different monitoring and management agents you see. Uh, we, we have developed specifically running on Azure called Custer. And this database is being gone in and validated for things like public cloud as well. And it can go in and look basically back last 30 days, last 48 hours. You can go and look at a very, very, very specific time set to really dive into that data. This is... um. Does that, so if you do like a 48 hour period, is it more like um, averaged out on a, you know, like in, like in VSO and vCenter, it's uh, every 20 seconds when you're looking at the last hour, but when you go back like five days or, or a month, you're looking at stats based on the average of or across of an hour, maybe or across the average of a day. Are you seeing that the further you go back, that it, the averages get bigger and bigger or that you can say well, oh, that, that's, 40 days ago and it's specific down to the same 20 second or so uh, log. That will be, um, it will show averages at a larger level like you talked about. Okay. However, because you have the ability to go and search on a specific custom time range, um, if you want to get more granular, you could simply say, I want to look between 8.44 a.m. and 8.45 a.m. on say. Okay. You can actually go and set that up and run it how you say. So. There are, I mean, it's going to be, um, it's going to be running where I'll show those averages in larger instances. This is really, sorry, someone's gone and wiped this. And I was actually just looking into this earlier today. So I apologize for this. It will go and sort of um, dive into, um, it will go and give those larger averages, but you don't have yourself limited to just the averages. You can go in and start looking at what's happening within my network security groups. Um, can you just give me, yeah, give me one moment. I was going to double check. Maybe someone's home your environment. I need to check this out really quickly. But um, you can do a whole bunch of different things inside of here in terms of what you're looking at, how you go and look at the granularity, and even doing your updates in your Linux machines and your Windows machines as well. So um, it's fully up to you if you do run them. Sorry. 
confused from where the data sets have gone in this. A lot of these we have to go and generate a ton of dummy data because, um, as you probably all know, it's very it's very easy to go and start monitoring tools. It's very, very hard to get data in which is kind of relevant to what you want to see. So um, we do go, we do, I'm able to get a lot of this content in, you can see it here, and even down into things where you're running containers and you're starting to run containers or microservices to get that kind of view into your environment is really possible here as well. So you can see we've got um, a container monitoring solution here. And okay, so so then the question is, so uh, if I were to go back and look at like an hour span of time, I'd still see those same small micro segments of uh, performance data. That that's the smallest level of performance data that I would see if it was in the last hour starting from right now. I go back 48 days and it would, I could select a short one hour period and we'd still be that same uh, high, uh, very tiny level of detail. Yeah, that is correct. Awesome. And then I guess if you select a wide range, then we just, you start seeing more averages based on how large the, the range is. So it's not that you're actually yeah, rolling as it up. you'd expect sort of averages of the data. Okay. We're not rolling the data up. It's the same data points, the same points in time being held and kept and stored. Um, what's kind of interesting here, you can go and do things like database checks. Uh, you can do health checks on a database level. You can do an active directory health check. All this kind of data can get done in depth inside of um, security and monitoring here. Um, just trying to work out where my bloody data went. I apologize, guys. I'm totally uh, grand watching. I swear I'm sneaking around <laughs> and you can't trust Australians. Uh, so the next question actually doesn't require showing anything. It's more of a, just a straight up question. The, for the on-prem stuff where you're looking at the connections and uh, the calls between between different servers, uh, for things that are actually on, on-premises versus the ones that are in Azure, would the on-premises stuff have to have an agent or do you have maybe like a proxy or a central collector to provide those same stats and information that you see from the stuff that runs in Azure? Um, yeah, so what we do is we, we have Bootstrap, a Bootstrap agent. But everything you see there is a single Bootstrap agent that can be run. So we can take we take data in via the Bootstrap agent, it pulls it out of their log data, pulls out performance logs, information, anything around that. It is running as a Bootstrap. Um, you can also import data from other collection sources into into these tools as well. I mean, if it's collecting in from a log data, it can be collected in in other ways as well. If that makes sense too. So it's not just limited to to um, <clears throat> to that. It's actually available in in other ways. I'm just trying to find a data set here, which might be in a better spot. So if you can give me one moment, please, uh, see if we can get this up. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it does need an agent there, definitely. Um, we can go and pull information, and you may look and go and say, we want to pull in network, um, network, you know, firewalls, routers, switches. We want to get that data into Azure. How do we go and do that? Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> how do we go and do that? And the thing is, that would be about really still having a, um, an, uh, and then, oh, gosh, I'm losing my mind today. <laughs> to have a syslog server that you're pushing the data out to, and then pulling the data in via the new um, via from from the agent running on that syslog server, as an example here. I'm just trying to see if if you can okay, see so like one sec. I'm not like gone. So the agent would be like for set. the purpose of like sys syslog forwarding from there yeah. on to okay. Cool. So it's gonna it's gonna have a way because something's gonna get to make the connection into Azure. Um, into custom in Azure and actually push that data in an encrypted manner so it can be actually read and, and parsed and everything else. So that is kind of important to, to have that agent in place. Um, as well as that, what we've shown you here is is first party things. And to be honest with you, um, if you're already running things on premise, if you're using Splunk to do a lot of log analytics, performance information interrogation, or using Nargios, or you're using um, Sumo Logic or something else, Using Azure doesn't mean you have to stop using that to those solutions. In fact, I mean, a lot of the time I would recommend you don't. Unless you haven't got something in place already, I wouldn't even start by looking at this. I'd use what you have because it will actually work from So you can go and run that and view that all from Azure. So I just wanted to see if I can get another copy of my data set up here, but it appears like someone scrubbed out a lot of the data. I apologize for this, guys. I want to show you a little bit more content inside of here. But you can go in there and just kind of use. Um, what I was going to flick over to now is also security. 
And again, this is this is running on premises. Um, it'll run on premises. It'll run on Azure and also multiple clouds as well. And we can start looking at things policy. So we actually don't just do things like reactive analysis and start going, hey, we need to, to put this in place. We can actually look at security policies we've set up on a whole subscription inside of the security center. And um, this could be where we're looking at internal consumption. And uh, sorry, I've covered on this one here. And, um, and what we have set up here, so we can start getting a view here where we can go, well, actually happening inside a subscription, we can set up policies and put them in place so we can start to view a policy and, and set those up and manage them that way. We can look at where our compliance fits, any changes that may have been made in that time. And also then down into the security itself and hygiene. So um, how are we updating, how are we protect machines? We go and look at computer net and apps. We can see which ones of our machines have actually are being monitored, which ones aren't being are having agent health issues, and even based on what's running on these, which ones have machines which have um, um, where they're not protected and need updates. We can see where endpoint protection issues exist. We can see missing scan data, a whole range of different things here where you're saying you're not meeting the security policies you really should. So if you're running a machine in the cloud, you want to make sure you're running on premises for that matter too. You want to make sure that you're <clears throat> setting up the, um, you're putting IP, sorry, endpoint protections in place because particularly people are out scanning things like TCP 3389, you want to make sure they're protected. This is going to go out and review and set up and, and look at a lot of different machines out there to see how they're protected, what's in place, um, and what has good signatures or bad signatures in terms of virus or endpoint management. We can go back into Security Center here and start also looking at things like our threat levels and even start running incidents and other things. There's a lot of different options you can go in here and, and sort of see and view. Are you setting this to a specific certification like PCI, uh, DSS, or uh, any other ones? Like, are you setting it to yeah. any specific level, or is this based? Or is what we're seeing mostly just on industry best practices? And then, uh, if you want to do it's, it's predominantly more, based. Then. It's predominantly based on industry best practices, firstly, and then secondly, um, on actual policies you can put in place and look at and view. And you can get a view of sort of any suspicious activity happening, any threat analysis happening. We'll even go and look at going, what constitutes an incident? Because a single attack doesn't constitute an incident, but multiple attacks in a specific way can actually constitute an incident response. Um, and also taking it back a step, um, when you're talking about compliance, um, you mentioned PCI, and I've got a bit of a bugbear on that always. PCI compliance, which is uh, for the credit card in in industry, if you're holding customer credit card data. If you're holding and processing customer credit card data, there is a set of requirements about how you hold that data. If you ever go and look at that data, the scan of PCI is pretty simple. It's just, hey, you're, you're secured and you're in a good state. The questionnaire itself is something which you're not really gonna get into anything like a security center editor because it's not, it's not just talking about technology. Um, it's talking about policy and process within an organization, including HR policy, people management policy, um, <clears throat> and taking that even back a few more steps, you, you might be looking at things like saying, hey, I need to make sure credit card data is encrypted. How do you know which data is credit card data? That doesn't mean you have to encrypt every piece of data on a disk. It means you might have to encrypt a single table or a single table inside a database, and that is all you need to encrypt based on where you're holding the data. So it's sort of very subjective in a lot of those. Um, and a lot of them are actually regulated by the industry and via questionnaires rather than technical monitoring products. Um, take that over HIPAA and HIPAA is self-regulating. Like health organizations actually self-regulate how they run and what they need to monitor for. Right, no, so I, I used to have to deal with like PCI audits and a lot of times what comes up is how is it that you're being notified? How do you see this? And so if you have an understanding of how maybe this provides you that information, provides you the you know, this is where I get notified when there's suspicious activity. This is the process for that to do it. These are the answers that you have to provide to the Perfect. auditors. Yeah. Which is, I just want to make it clear because I always hate it when people think a tool is going to fix all their, <laughs> right. their issues. And a tool will not fix issues like that. It's going to be process and tools. Right. So um, I, like all things out there. Understanding what the what these tools 
add in value to a process specifically helps you answer the yeah. questions to those auditors so that you can say, you know, exactly hey, right. Yeah. I get notified. Cause uh, to be honest, uh, one of my answers once was honestly like, how, how are you notified when there's an issue in the code and get notified by the vendor? And I literally told them Twitter, I said, honestly, the V community is faster than VMware um, sometimes. And, and it's easy for you to say, like, I know the channels for me, this is my process because I know the channels where I can find that information, the people who actually go out there and provide it, and the way that it is fastest for me to retrieve it, I monitor these different channels. And technically that worked. But that was a process. Uh, at the same time, how do you use a, a tool, uh, any other tool, to find a notification and how does it work and what is the process and what feeds into it are part of that process? Yeah, no, that, that is a big part. So it's, it's a good conversation to have. Um, so you can have all that set up. We even set up things like playbooks too. So you want to have, if you actually have an incident happening, um, bog standard response to an incident would be to maybe send an email, send a notification, send an escalation. We'll also, someone's really played with this environment. It's kind of annoying me a bit. Though. Sorry about that. Yes. Um, it, it, you know it's what? always the way. It was fun. Right? I showed it this morning. Hey guys, I showed it this morning in a presentation. It was great. Um, but you can go and set up run books. You can set up web hooks into things like ServiceNow directly out of this. So it can tile that in together. And um, I mentioned a lot of the preemptive stuff too. One of the things I should have mentioned, but I totally forgot about is we've even built things like just in time VM access into this. So you can, you can, you know, we talk about how do we know if someone can access a machine? When can they access it? We can actually sit here and start going, well, rather than give people access to production all the time, even as full on admins, let's lock it down into when you need access to the machine and start to do it in the same way that people like ourselves, um, Amazon, Google, and others will actually protect their machines and workloads and give access just when you need it to. Nice. Um, uh, no, no other questions. Uh, so from a, a secure perspective, the playbooks allow you to do some automation on that. Uh, is there any ever, has there yeah. seen any, any concern from some of the customers around like, you know, a lot of people are, are always concerned when they say, oh, I want this thing to respond automatically or do something automatically on the environment, which their concern was, what if it accidentally brings it down or turns it off or, or disables something that makes the application <sighs> run? Yeah, so when you're talking about policies and how you run these kind of solutions, um, so if we go and look at, for example, here, um, these aren't created by us. This is the same way you would be, you know, you would set up something like a, if you're, if you're on premises today, you may say, hey, uh, if this happens, then do this. It's creating a playbook and a run book of things that can run through. So it's defined by a customer and, and they decide where they, what they do and what part of it they actually own and configure. So I'd say it holds the same level of risk in terms of that. I mean, we could look at something and say, well, if we see this kind of penetration behavior, pull a machine out of a cluster. And that could be fine. But it could also be a major issue to to if you haven't configured your cluster properly or it pulls four machines out of a cluster, which is four machines. So I think there's got to be a fair bit of self-regulation in how you set it up. We provide the tools to go and design something to go and build that logic in together and to do certain things, but we don't actually get, we don't actually do it for the customers. They can look at, for example, um, some templates we may have pre-configured. They can go and look at different plugins you'll see here about taking separate actions and so forth, but we're not going to create that actual um, response for a customer makes sense. Again, it's going to be up to the customer to make that playbook himself, make settings and make a decision if they will make changes to the environment and what they will do and on what triggers they will make those changes. That, so that was very interesting. That actually looked like flow, which, but um, you can logic app. Yeah, so the logic app designer, it basically looked like flow. So if you consider like, uh, it's flow enterprise, which is basically focused on, <laughs> which is focused on the idea of like, hey, yeah, let me go mess with my Azure work workloads, which you wouldn't normally do on a flow uh, workflow, but you would. In here, it's like, okay, well, this is specifically for this purpose. Yeah, and we can go in. I mean, this is this is linking into a logic app, which is going to link into a security policy and incident. So you can go and view it here. If you don't want to use the visual view, you can go and great. I want to write 
the actual flow. I want to write the actual logic app data myself. Um, you can go and use the templates as well that we provided. So if you want to start just dragging things in together and start saying, well, in the instance that um, we see a request come in and this is triggered, we can post a URL, we can make a step, we can put a new step in. Um, and it could be to send an email to, to put something onto a Slack channel, Teams, if you want to be Microsoft centric, we can do a whole range of things in here, um, built directly into sort of security instant response. Interesting, yeah. So basically it looks like flow with caffeine. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, but it's, it's actually, it's kind of cool because it's, it's linking into our logic apps, into sort of your, your microservices, even visual-based microservices inside Azure, platform-based services that you can sort of link in together and start to build out responses, which are much more advanced and say what we would have looked at as a Microsoft-centric solution a few years ago with um, things like, um, was it Apalis, which became System Center Orchestrator. <clears throat> or you can even do this if you don't want to use, for example, um, our tool set in here too, you can simply link straight into something like a, an Ansible script you want to run if this happens or a chef script. You don't have to actually use the Microsoft products to run your, your actions and so forth. So um, I do have one area more from like a cost perspective that from a monitor cost monitoring. Are there other sections that you want to go to, but maybe before we get there? Yeah, really, really quickly. I was going to show you the DR bit, which um, I didn't have ready to go before because I shut the machine down in uh, earlier when I was trying to cut down on my spend in my personal account. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when you start looking at things like DR, this is really easy. Um, we want to do DR in the cloud. We want to do, quite often we will do on-premises to Azure. Uh, we can do this through Azure Site Recovery. We can do this through someone like Zoto or um, Cloud Endure, other solutions out there. We also want to do maybe region to region if we have an issue in, in a certain location, physical Azure location, set of data centers constituting a region. We want to be able to replicate over to another physical location and be able to select where that is and the replication schedule and what we're replicating here. So <clears throat> we can go in here and select replicate a machine to a totally different location. I'm going to select Canada East just because. Um, we select what kind of storage account we want to use. We put up our replication settings. And uh, you know the account subscription is going to connect into the services vault by policy. How much retention are we going to do? So 24-hour retention means we're going to hold 24 hours worth of data point snapshots. It'll do um, asynchronous replication with as, with up to about maybe two three minutes of recovery point objective. And you can go and do things as well and set up. Um, you can set up your actual application-centric snapshots. So it can take application consistent snapshots, maybe on an hourly basis, 30-minute basis, keep 24 hours of those. And you set your replication up here. And um, it'll go through, create this template, and set the replication policy up. And you're actually protecting VMs, and that's done. It's now replicating the data. It's to another location, to another physical data center. You can go and do things like, um, we're probably all familiar with the concept of what we do as Site Recovery Manager. We can set things up and run them as a test failover. Same concept here. We can run those whole VMs up as a test failover and keep them running to maybe bring up an environment which is non-production that we want to do test and development on. We do a whole range of things here and sort of pick when we are. And again, that's a Ubuntu machine, so Linux-based. It's not a Windows-based machine. We can, of course, run it on Windows. Um, and we can go and see this here has deployed out. Um, and we can go and see how it's, been, how it's been configured and set up and the whole replication options that's being done here. So we can see our demo ASR instance here, pin it to my dashboard, and we can see it's set up. It's set up a virtual network on the other side. We can go and view the actual replication, anything that's running in here, and it's actually done for your DR and your backup, and I think that's a pretty cool thing to show. So what were the type of endpoints that you could, so it's not like from Azure to on-premises or another availability zone or where else? Um, well, there are a few different options. We can do DR from on-premises, from physical VMware or Hyper-V into Azure. Okay. And that can be through Azure Site Recovery, but also people like Zoto Cloud Endure and others. Um, within Azure itself, again, <clears throat> you could go and run from a marketplace with a great partner, someone like Zoto. Uh, you could go and spin up, sorry, wrong spot to go for that. Um, we could go up and spin up a Zoto instance and do premises to Azure or Azure to Azure via Zerto replication from the marketplace. 
Um, or as I just showed you, Azure Site Recovery will be Azure region to Azure region. So from one location to another physical location, <clears throat> Azure Data Center, uh, and you can set that up and do that replication and then do things like your, te your test failover, your actual failover, when you want to, how you want to. What about EC2? Options uh, from DR, from Azure to AWS is not there. It's not something we're providing. I'm not going to talk too much about the futures. It's been discussed very, very heavily. I'll tell you right now, when we look at, um, we look at providers, say like People Cloud Foundry and others who are talking OpenShift and talking about multi-cloud on-premises and multi-cloud, we are very, very interested in not providing any friction there. So we are not providing this natively. If you want to go and use Zerto Cloud and Jira others to provide this functionality, again, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't object because you're going to do what you need to do as a customer. You're not going to do something otherwise. Um, I'd say there'd be a bit of complexity in migrating from an AWS instance to a or to an Azure instance or vice versa because we use different templates. Right. Um, so the actual VM types are very, very different. We have our VMs as VHD images in, in AWS, for example. They are, I forget the extension type, but they're Zen-based. So you're going to see some complexity in trying to do that replication. Um, <clears throat> we can do things like migration back and forth. We're not doing the continuous DR. There's a lot of challenges around support and the control of the environment. So on-premises to Azure, yes. Um, even from Azure back to on-premises, yes. And Azure to Azure, yes. But from AWS to Azure or vice versa, we don't provide that as a continuous replication mechanism. Um, just because we can't have the customer, can't control kind of the equipment at this stage. Well, we can definitely do that with... Um, <clears throat> with some of the third parties, as I mentioned, like Zerto. Nice. Uh, looks but, like that answered the question for them. Yeah. From, Got the thumbs up there. Yeah, from my, from, from, yeah, from my perspective, it's super easy because it's just, as I said, for backup for DR, if you're running things in Azure, you can go and just tick boxes, select where you want to replicate to and put them in place. Um, and now the machine is running. Uh, you, you can also show you things. So this is a Linux machine here. We can go and turn on things like update management <clears throat> and make it so both Windows and Linux updates can be set up on a policy. You can approve them, and not just across one machine, but across, say, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 machines in your environment. Decide what updates need to get applied, select the updates you want to deploy, and then the schedule where you want those updates to deploy the same way you would today. But again, you're not going and managing the server, the application, the update downloads, everything else. You've got the updates right there, and you go and select what you deploy and when you deploy it across Windows and Linux distributions as well. So from an update management perspective and scheduling, could you do it work like say you have a distributed or uh, load balance application made up of multiples per tier, right? You know, like a highly available yeah. database, you have a, <laughs> uh, multiple web, uh, application servers and uh, uh, many web apps, right? Where maybe you're not running it as a container service, but you have, you have it's kind of distributed could you schedule and time it in a way that uh, without having to you know, do the updates without having to take the entire thing down? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we look at update management, I, can I created an update group. Um, you would create multiple update groups with different schedules. Would that interact with like say the load balancing to pull things out of the load balancer while it's gonna do the updates so that it doesn't impact or, or cause any issues to the application itself? Uh, we can set that up to do that, yes. That'll be, nice. again, part of the work you're doing and when you're sort of setting up the management and everything else. <clears throat> within Azure region, we have multiple um, fault domains within the region. So whenever you, you do, you can set up your rules to say, hey, I want to make sure this is spread across fault domains, which will make sure not just when you're doing updates to the OS that you're managing in an IaaS world, like the Linux and the Windows OS, but if we're doing backend updates, we always do our updates in that manner too. So if you're following all recommendations, not only we protect it against uh, updates that you're deploying, which are under your control and management, but also any updates in the back end that we deploy into Azure. So when you had things like Spectre come out, for example, as a zero day exploit, we had those updates out within the day, um, as did other major cloud providers. Much, much faster than what you'd see on premises that happened. Um, and these were done in a way, so if you had architected things properly, where you should be spreading across fault domains, and we have that set up, we set the configuration options, you won't be impacted by our updates or by your own updates as well. But a lot of these things, I mean, to me, it's still very reliant on 
you as a, as a customer or as a partner, making sure we set up our environments in a good way. Okay. Like, I mean, if you take it back to a VMware world, if you uh, set up a cluster, that's great. I've done a SQL cluster, it's highly available, but you're running both VMs on the same physical host. It's just not going to work. You're going to be willing to set up your any affinity group for that, for example, to, to cross-pollinate terms. So um, um, one of the other areas for me from a monitoring perspective would be like on a cost model, because obviously in a uh, public cloud, that's a, always going to be the concern, right? People moving from a, an op, uh, CapEx kind of model of running things in their own data centers, moving to an OpEx model in a public cloud. Um, even with, with other cloud providers, there, there's always going to be that concern over how much money am I, am I paying? Because you don't want to have to, people want to worry about yeah. phantom VMs running and whatnot. But um, one of the options there would be like, you know, what is my run rate per hour, per day, per month? And is are you able to look at that from more of a forecasting model as well, where you can say, hey, you know what, based well, on... Let me have a look. Uh, I only call this out because I've got internal based accounts. We quite often don't reveal the financial data, but I'll see if I can look at this right now. Um, one of the first things you would do is definitely tag that data. So you, just, you can go and tag your different workloads and make sure you can properly associate with teams, projects, groups, et cetera, um, whether they be storage accounts or virtual machines or anything else. Um, I showed you briefly before the Azure, no, the, uh, the Azure Advisor screen. This will go and talk about optimizing cost, but it won't give you the, the overall cost in one day. But if we go down into cost management and billing, I've used this, but not on my internal accounts. I've done this with some customers. Um, we can most definitely get in there and start looking at, oh, yes, we can, brilliant. We can start looking at actually what's actually occurring in terms of cost here. We can diagnose what our spend is, what's being deployed. Um, <clears throat> see what I can show here. So, sorry, guys, I'm just trying to see. I haven't looked in my own subscription for a while. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, ah, no. I don't pay for it. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> so look at resources just to see. This may fail brilliantly, which is why I'm just a little bit curious. We'll see what we can see on different things. Um, no, I can't. It's most definitely available inside of a customer-based account. It's not available in my own internal subscription. Yeah, that's fine. That it's just one of those things would be like, if could you, or is it taking into consideration your average build rate when ah. you're building things out on your environment where you can see like, hey, if you continue down this path, your monthly bill will be this by the end of the month. Uh, will it model out the details there? <sighs> Shoot. Okay, yeah. So this is all internal, which is why I'm stuck. I'm sorry, guys. Now you can see here, I've just gone to one. I can see the cost per month of these accounts, but I can't drill down into the cost. There's another way to go and do that, but it's internal base, so well, let me do it. Uh, when you're configuring the accounts, it will not show you that information about that, but you, you can go through and do the analysis per event or start looking at it. As you can see here, I don't have billing access because I don't have access to the entire Microsoft billing access, <laughs> um, as you'd expect. But you can go and start viewing exactly what's being used, how they're being used, uh, the usage and credits, and one of the things I personally like is actually putting that in place um, even before you go and go take a further step and start running things. We have, let's see if this works here, products like Clouding, which we, we acquired, which will not just do the cloud. Um, we can start to really get some granular breakdowns on cost analysis, what we're running, how much things are costing you, both across Azure and also across AWS and on-premises and other clouds as well. So, again, I'm kind of early in the financial year for Microsoft now. A lot of things are being wiped and rebuilt, so I haven't got confidence we'll see some dummy data. Um, it doesn't like us internals, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's, we can yeah, just a process here, We can break it down. We can break it down to prod, DR, you know, different workloads, different environments, and really get granular views into what's being spent and on what and start to optimize and tie it into budget versus real-time use. Um, we then also have uh, a range of, um, you'll see them come up, let's go to, here's a little quicker. Um, we also have more over here as well, where we can actually, um, sorry, let me find this. 
but we actually list out other partners too that are doing the assessment um, and optimization of your workload. So we have this ourselves with Azure Advisor. We have Azure Migrate as well. Sorry, um, Cloudian as well providing this. But then if you go down, and we have it listed really under migration partners. But to be honest, most of them continuously optimize as well as providing migration. So if we go down into, um, sorry, I was trying to remember where we listed out the products and partners here. Um, Talk about the calculator. No, it wasn't the calculator. Sorry, guys. Um, probably just jumping in the wrong spot here. Uh, if we start to look into our assessment tools and products here, we talk about our first-party assessments. So things like service map you saw earlier. Uh, we'll do discovery, mapping, evaluate, and do cost analysis. Is what I'm looking for. And we have, um, as I mentioned, Cloudine. We have Azure Advisor. We have all these products as first-party offerings to do this. We also have partners like Cloudomize, to the Nomics, Current, Tiso, Logic, Cloud Physics, Movair. Uh, we'll not just do the analysis um, for right now and compare it and map it into what you may use and may spend. They'll also do the continuous optimization. So what you saw in Azure Advisor, but kind of on steroids. So it'll do that at a bigger scale. And these work hooks into um, the billing APIs of Azure in your account in Azure and also into other resource providers too, whether you put it on premises or in another cloud. Um, you have, we have billing APIs. And it can go and look at and give you that up-to-date billing information and data as well. So, awesome. So, from a an overall perspective, if there's a couple a couple of items from a summary you would want to make sure that people took away from this, what areas would you really want people to to remember? Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is. Firstly, get in there, try out the portal, use it. There's free access into Azure. You can get $200 of credit without a credit card. So get familiar with Azure. Um, if you're more familiar using Bash, PowerShell, Terraform, Ansible, Chef, um, these are all supported and you can go and use these providers in Azure as well. Um, as a second point, if you are setting things up in Azure, I strongly recommend you look at the Azure Docs page. Uh, we've talked a little bit about availability and how you set it up properly, but you need to do this from the start. It's not an afterthought. It's got to be done before you really go and set up your environment. This is from um, your security, your management, your networking, your endpoints, everything. So we have a lot of content in the Azure Docs page around setting this up. You can go and put it in. Um, the good thing about Azure Docs is it's um, all open sourced onto GitHub. So if you have any changes you want to make, uh, you see in the doc any faults, any changes, anything you want to ask, any other details to add, you can go in there and then raise a bug or make some changes to the markdown and do a pull request, and we will actually look and review that and potentially add it on. So oh, things are running really slow today. <laughs> I think I've got probably right now both kids on Netflix, so I'm probably slowing down a little bit at home. <laughs> um, but you can go and look at a lot of our Azure Docs pages here, and there's some really, really good content to help you build that out and understand how to run it. While that's, uh, thank goodness, um, this is one of my favorite ones, which is the Azure Virtual Data Center from a networking perspective. And this will talk about setting up redundancy, endpoints, security, identity, connectivity, all things you want to do before you even start to deploy your first application in Anger. You get beyond doing testing and it may be a throwaway environment. This is where you should go and start looking at documentation on this. And as I mentioned, every thing here, actually on GitHub. So you can go and actually make changes, sign in, give feedback, uh, pull requests, bugs, etc. to that. Another great source of content, if you want to learn a bit more about Azure and how to build things, is some of these learning materials we've put up here for our customers, full-time employees and partners. Um, and we have maintained workshops. Again, everything here is open sourced. So you can, if you want to do your own customized version, Go and do it, set it up, configure it. Um, if you want to just basically use what's here and look at other things, uh, maybe make some changes, raise bugs, etc. cetera, uh, you can do this here as well. So we talked about how you would go and set up things here. One of my favorite ones here is building resilient IaaS architecture. Building resilient IaaS architecture. Um, and we go through a whole scenario, this piece of work here, some design workshops and hands-on labs. And this is all available to anyone out there. This is not locked. Um, it's not locked. It's actually available publicly. It's available publicly. Sorry, I just had kids invade my office. Uh, 
I mean, at least you're not uh, on video for your office, but that's fine. It's amazing. You know what? A 10-year-old you think would work out when you put your hand up and point will go away about three times, they'd figure it out, but they don't. It's kind of like Grant Orchard at a bar. He never knows when he's had enough. I'm um, sorry, I forgot to actually sledge Grant Orchard for about 40 minutes there. That was terrible. Um, but we provide all this content here so you can get in there and have a look at the data and information, the hands-on lab, um, and really sort of get your head around how to build some of these workloads. So we've got quite a few scenarios here. There's 35 different ones we've built out. So um, sorry, if I put that in the IM window, will that be good for you guys to sort of easier for you guys to sort of look at too? Yeah, uh, all we'll do is we'll put it on, uh, share it on Twitter as well. Yeah, excellent. I'm going to pop that in now because I would say that to me is a great place to sort of get in, build it, get familiar. Um, apart from that, my other comments would be, you know, don't try and demonstrate too much of this where the data has been purged because you can't show much in the way of management when data been, has been purged like my environment, unfortunately. Uh, I wanted to go in and show you that I wasn't able to show today. So um, as you start getting real data in there, the more information and sort of content in there you'll find available, um, the more you'll be able to get in terms of value because you can see what's happening and really get that view of what's going on in your environment. Cool, any other questions? Um, not that I can see. And just remember, guys, whenever you see Grant, point out that he likes Starbucks. I love you. <laughs> oh, he um, already knows. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time, Lewis. I hope that was useful. Oh, that was great. Um, thank you so much for your time for t uh, tonight going through... Uh, the portal and some of the operations and uh, the monitoring tool sets in there. Um, it's like it's the second time I've looked at a couple of things in uh, the Azure services portal myself, uh, just through the brown bag. Uh, really great stuff and looking forward to seeing some more. Um, yeah, and no, I appreciate it. Uh, this is going to be on, on YouTube on the V brown bag channel. If anybody has any more uh, questions, uh, they can reach you on Twitter. Uh, uh, B E N D I Q, I think. And yeah, at Ben Dick. <laughs> ben Dick. Um, it may it may have been intentional, but we'll see. <laughs> um, find that uh, and a couple of questions. Uh, great session. Some, some people are saying just saying thanks for the session. And um, so yeah, if anybody has any more questions for him, obviously reach out on Twitter. Um, you know, everybody's always happy to help out in the community. Uh, but we, I posted the one link on Twitter uh, using the hashtag for uh, the brown bag. But uh, thank you all for joining us tonight live. And uh, thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I um, appreciate it. I hope you appreciate the lack of PowerPoint, which is very un-Microsoft. <laughs> I, I already uh, posted that, hey, we're doing all this live. Bring your hard hats and safety glasses. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Ken Lewis. Have a good Thank night. You, man.